2: All right, D, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, plunging yields, unsettled stocks, where the correction is going from here, what to do with your money. First and foremost, we debate that with the Investment Committee. Famed investor Leon Cooperman joins us today in just a few moments. With us for the hour, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown, and John Nigerian. Let's take a look at where stocks are trading right now following the worst day of the year for the major averages. A nice snapback today. Take a look at the Dow. It's up better than 600 points right now. That, not quite getting everything back from yesterday, but certainly appears on the way to doing so. That's the highs of the day. The S&P is good for 1.5%. Boy, that 10-year note yield, that is quite a story today. Got as low as 112, a nice bounce off of that level as well to currently sit at 121. All right, guys, let's try and put all of this into perspective because what a 24 hours, even less it's really been. You know, Josh Brown, one of the headlines I take from today is what this all means for where we may be going from here. Dubrovko Lakos comes on our show quite often from J.P. Morgan, raises his year-end S&P target, right? Raises, not cuts. He raises his target to 4,600 from 44, said they remain constructive on equities. They see the latest round of growth and slowdown fears, both premature and overblown. Is he right? How do you see it?
0: Well, I don't know if he's right. I hope he's right. And I admire his uh, his timing to come coming at a moment where a lot of people have flipped from bullish to bearish because of one rough day in the market. But I'm not surprised at all that that's the environment. We see that all the time. People spend way too much attention focused on what they see in one given day or week, and then they start extrapolating out worst case scenarios. And that's why I have a job quite frankly, because we go the opposite way. Um, I think people were out there embarrassing themselves yesterday. I tried not to watch or listen to a lot of media. The S&P 500 at its low point was 3.6% off an all-time record high, which is completely fine and absolutely normal. You may not like the speed of it, but guess what? It's 2021. Things move really fast now. We don't have fax machines anymore. Um, The other thing is... You have some big damage done in individual names, and I know those get a lot of attention. Maybe they should. We took a look at the median stock at that low point. It was only 8% below a a 52-week high. So the selling has been very modest. And now today, look at this follow-through. Industrials and financials look a little bit better than em- energy and materials. Maybe that's a dollar story. I don't know. Transport's put in a very solid hammer yesterday on the candlestick chart. They fell 13 percent uh, and, th- and then closed higher. You got upside of 2 percent today. Series of lower highs, lower lows. But let's see if we're reversing here. See the Russell? Huge breakout for some important names. You see the Russell? Um, that's in the transports.
2: Yeah. What about it? Look at the Russell's up uh, 2 and 3 quarters percent today. That's a nice. Yeah, I want to focus the though. Too.
0: So the last, the last thing I want to say, I want to focus on a couple of things that I think are really important: the consumer, Target and Costco are at new all-time highs right now. Insane strength. Those are better bellwethers for the mood and the spending of the consumer than any two stocks in the market. And then can we just talk about healthcare, which we never do? The XLV, very quietly, the strongest sector in the entire market. Monster, monster breakout today for Pfizer. You got home builders looking better after a big washout. I just don't understand all the hysteria. Again, I'm very embarrassed for a lot of professionals in this market who really can't seem to contain themselves just because treasury yields fall for a few weeks. It, it really is extraordinary that people could be in the market as long as they are and treat yesterday as though like something massive has changed. Look at a weekly chart. Calm down. Steph, do you want
2: to pick up right off of where Josh left off? Do you agree with him? Are we making or did, did uh, people make too much of, of yesterday? I mean, you, you can look at that move in the 10-year and understand why some people may have gotten awfully nervous about where we are and even at the start of today, 112. Hey, Scott,
0: hey Scott before yeah. you go to Steph, the 10-year the hovered between 1% and 2% for the 10 years 2011 to 2020, right where it is now, and we got 14.5% average annual gains in the S&P while the 10-year did exactly what it's been doing. So I really don't understand that level of alarm over the 10-year on an absolute basis either. It's absolutely mind-boggling to me. I just don't get it.
2: Okay. I All mean, right, Steph, if, if, if you're, you're, if you're talking about two different things too, Josh. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about the, the one thing is the level, The other thing is the speed of the move in the 10 year, the speed lower, the plunging in yields that that's uh, you can pick another word if you don't like plunge. But that's what it was. And Steph, why why don't you pick it up? I mean, do you agree with Josh? Much, much ado about nothing, because that's certainly what he said.
3: No, I always want to pay attention to the bond market. I can't understand it right this moment. And you're right. You're spot on right in terms of the velocity of the move. That is what I think has freaked out some people. But I think if you step back, the growth scare is very misplaced. The economy remains strong. We talk about the various different pieces of the economy, right? Manufacturing and consumer. Manufacturing. Let's just dig a little deeper other than the ISMs and PMIs. Let's look at Dover this morning, right? They beat They raised, they had total revenue growth of 35%. In all segments, across every segment line, they beat on revenues, and it was double-digit growth. Organic growth was 30%. These are big, big numbers. And they had 30% incremental margins as well. So they're executing. That's not just a special situation story to Dover. That's talking about end markets seeing double-digit growth year over year, but even back to 2019 levels, still very solid report. Even in PPG today, I know we're all focused on the supply chain issues, right? I got it. I understand that piece of it, and I know that's why the stock is down. But total revenue, a PPG, rose 44 percent, led by aerospace. They had some supply chain issues on the auto side. Well, that makes sense, because we've been hearing about that on the semi-side. So those are two big bellwether names in manufacturing that reported great numbers. And let's just let the death settle in terms of where numbers come out. Dover's numbers are going up. PPG is probably coming down. But the bottom line is the big picture is strong in manufacturing. And then I would just say on the consumer side, we talk all the time about jobs and wages and savings and all that stuff. But retail sales, 1.3% last Friday versus 03 That's ex-auto. People are expecting a negative retail sales overall number, a negative 0.6 It came in 0.6. Consumer is strong. And the pent-up demand is enormous. And I actually do think that back to school is going to be a home run. Listen to the ex-CEO of Macy's last Friday on CNBC and how bullish he was about back to school. So I think you want to have exposure in discretionary. You want to be buying some of these cyclicals that have fallen 10, 15, 20 percent from their highs. And then you don't want to ignore technology, but they've had an enormous run. Value over growth outperformed from January to mid-May, right, by 12 percentage points. That spread has has narrowed 100 percent. So now you're trading even. That's fine. It's a diversified market. That's why you want to be diversified. But I would not suggest that the bond market is telling us that we're going to see a recession 12 months down the road.
2: So, Jim Labenthal, um, I think we can. This is like a public service announcement in some respects. I think our viewers, certainly they like to hear what all of you have to say. More importantly, they want to know how you're backing it up with actually what you do. And judging by the moves that all of you have made in the last 24 hours tells me that while Josh can be dismissive of the way that some people may have viewed yesterday, he's actually backing that up, his belief that maybe this is a whole lot of nothing, by adding to positions that he already had, which I'll get to in a second. But since Josh already spoke, I'm going to come back to him. I want to go to you, Jim, because you use the weakness in the market to buy more General Motors You used it to buy more Citigroup, you used it to buy more Marathon, and you used it to buy more Cleveland Cliffs. Tell me.
4: Well, there's a common thread there, and uh, those actions clearly say I don't believe there is a growth slowdown coming, at least not one that should really measure on the economic statistics. Look, we've all been doing this a long time. I could go through a long list of growth scares that turned out to be nothing. I think I think it's likely, not definite, but likely the Delta variant turns out the same way. You could have said the same thing, a growth scare in the oil patch in 2016, the Eurozone potentially breaking up in 2011. I can go on and on, but the point is this. When the market melts down because of a presumed growth scare, far more often than not, that is a time to buy. I am stepping into that, and you can see that those are cyclical, reopening value trades. I still believe we are very early in an economic expansion, one that is fueled by continual fiscal stimulus and monetary accommodation. And I'm not worried about those things going away, both because it's not going to happen anytime soon and because the economy is gaining strength enough to stand on its own. Scott, that's the fundamental picture. I want to add one technical item here. I had my team take a look at the S&P 500. This year alone, 91% of the stocks in the S&P 500, excuse me, 455 of them have already gone through a correction. A lot of them far more than a correction. So what you're seeing when people say, oh, we're due for a correction, that's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Underneath the index, the individual stocks that make up the stock market index have all corrected. We're not on the precipice of some damaging, heart-rendering correction. At least I don't see it. I see good economic growth. I see great profits, and I see great profit growth i don't think i'm just whistling dixie here i really see the profits coming in as steph pointed out as josh pointed out
1: much much better than expected
2: doc what do you see
1: well scott uh, of course uh, i was focused yesterday both on the tlt and the vix the vix had moved up by seventy percent scott seventy percent like that um, just in a matter of days now that's to me that's a nice trigger it uh, doesn't always mean that it's uh, the, the all clear or anything like that. But when you see a move like that in the VIX, that gets me to um, get in there and buy stocks and sell calls, which is what I do. I've been doing for 40 years and it worked like crazy today. Volatility is getting crushed. Stocks are rallying. So when volatility is low, Scott, you always hear me, Pete and myself say, let's buy some calls. Let's buy either protection or let's participate in the market by owning calls because the cheapest way to get that upside uh, participation and get it in a leveraged way. Well, that was the opposite yesterday. We took advantage of it. Right now, Scott, I think this uh, immunome antibody cocktail um, that people uh, were talking about this morning, certainly it neutralizes the Delta variant. And that's still in preclinical trials. We know that. But we also know that emergency use um, is a possibility, and anything that would nip this delta and other variants in the bud, which, you know, we're a lot closer to being able to do that this year than we were, of course, a year ago, right. because we've already got vaccines. So I'm, I'm bullish for that reason, Scott. Um, I've got a whole bunch of stocks, some of which I can't talk about because they'll be part of unusual activity. But there is a lot of upside speculation back in the market again. That TLT trade that we talked about last week, there are still people betting, by the way, that those rates go lower still for that 10-year, Scott.
2: Yeah, we'll see. And, um, you know, Josh Brown, we we started with you. I'm going to circle back to you before we bring in Lee Cooperman. You bought more Live Nation yesterday. You bought more Simon property.
0: Talk to our viewers family this is what we do like it's not even rare that that would happen i saw guys selling simon property group that were, were you selling eight percent in the hole i was saying to myself i was trying to picture who's on the other side of this trade are you a child so i understand human nature very well i understand that post uh, economic recovery and people with the vaccine they're never going back you could pass whatever rule you want in any state We are never reversing this recovery for the people that are vaccinated. For the people that are unvaccinated, I don't know what to tell them. I don't really understand what's going on right there. But I don't think we're going to have reversals in all of these cyclical plays, all of these consumer entertainment and travel plays. I think we can see stock market reversals on bad virus days. I don't think we're going to have fundamental reversals in these companies' businesses. So I added to Live Nation, lowered my average cost, added to Simon Property Group on a huge down day, actually raised my average cost, but I know I'm getting cheap stock there. And I think that that's the way most investors should be looking at really, really ugly days. Historically, you don't always get instant gratification, but it should work if you've done your work. Let's bring in our
2: headliner now. Lee Cooperman is the chairman and CEO of the Omega Family Office, joins us once again. Lee, welcome back. uh, It's good to see you, Uh, good to speak with you once again. So I I hope you heard some of our conversation here. um, Heard it all, heard it all, heard it all. You've been voting with your your wallet, too, um, because it looks to me like you were adding to a bunch of your positions yesterday as well. Does that say you're not that concerned about what happened in the market over the last couple of days?
5: I don't think I don't think think we're paying adequate attention to some of the fundamental issues. But, you know, I, I kind of break my outlook down into a cyclical view and a secular view. Cyclically, I agree with all the positive comments made. I mean, the conditions for a bear market just are not present. You know, bear markets don't materialize out of immaculate conception. Bear markets come about, number one, because the economy smells an oncoming recession. We came at a recession ended in April of 2020, according to the National Bureau of Economic Research, and we're well into an economic recovery. Uh, second cause of bear markets, accelerating and problematic inflation. I have a different view of inflation than Secretary Powell, but. The most important thing you can say about inflation, inflation is a friend of common stocks because the corporations incorporate the inflation in their costs into their selling prices, which lifts the nominal level of revenues and earnings. Inflation becomes a problem when the central bank begins to fight inflation because fighting inflation is tantamount to curbing growth. We have a central bank that wants more inflation, and they're convinced that it's going to moderate. Now, the way I look at it, it's going to moderate, but it's going to moderate to a still very high level, well above 2%. You know, 64% of business costs are labor. For my 50 years in the business world, the only time I've seen wages go down is in a recession. Okay? We don't have a recession. Uh You know, I think uh, thirdly, uh, I'd say that, uh, you know, the market has been very self-correcting. You know, the old line I've used for many, many years, I always say I wish I coined it. I didn't, you know. John Templeton. So John Templeton, bull markets are born of pessimism, growing optim- up, skepticism, mature and optimism, dying euphoria. Certain sectors of the market have been euphoric, uh, but I think the overall market is not euphoric. But, uh, you know, so I, I think the market outlook is OK. Well, uh, you and, and you you were a
2: self-described fully invested bear. Not, yeah. well, that, well, long, I'm very not that, that long about ago. The long
5: term. Yeah, I still feel that way. I'm feeling that I'm having a very good year. You know, uh having a good day today, I had a terrible day yesterday. I am reasonably I'm not fully invested, but reasonably fully invested, not on margin. Um, but you're still and-
2: you're you're still buying stocks though, so you can't be that bearish, right? You you told us you, you added to your positions in Fiserv, a holding, Bausch Health, Cabot Oil and Gas, Paramount Resources. So that in and of itself is a statement on your belief of where stocks may go. Certainly the ones you
5: like. And I'm buying you look. I'm having a good year because I came into the year overweighted in energy. And I think that basically uh, supply demand for energy is still going to be relatively tight with the exception of the UAE, United Arab Emirates and the Saudis and the Kuwait. uh, There's no, not a lot of spare capacity around the world. The economy grows, supply demand will tighten up. These energy companies have religion. They see what's going on with ESG. uh, So I think they can be very careful in how they spend. And so, uh, you know, a, a paramount, uh, you know, resources, a Canadian oil and gas symbol, POU, up in Canada. Uh, the company in another year it could be debt free, uh, selling it uh, less than four times cash flow with, uh, you know, substantial resource space. Same with Tourmaline, which is uh, up in Canada, TOU. So, yeah, I, I find a lot of things to do. Uh, you know, I was a director of one of the greatest corporations in America for 20 years, Automatic Data Processing. Their greatness had nothing to do with me being a director, I was uh, lucky to be a director. When I was a director, we always looked at uh, um, First Data It's one of our benchmarks to compare you know, our valuation and our acceptance and our performance. Well, First Data is now an important part of Fiserv run by Frank Bisognano, who's a terrific CEO. FIServe I could purchase for under 20 times earnings. Today, ADP is close to 35 times earnings. PayPal, another comparable, is I think 65 times earnings. Inside of Fiserv, there's a square. Square's 160 times earnings, and five Serve is under 20 times earnings. Yeah, so I find a lot of things I could do. But I have to say the thing that bothers me most is I think we're eating out seed corn. You know, if, I know you can have Rick Reeder on after me, and Rick's a terrific guy on in fixed income. I like him a lot. I respect him a lot. I have a little bit of money with him in my foundation. But he's a terrific guy. I don't understand fixed income. You know, uh, and I, I think personally it's the result of a bunch of academicians running monetary policy around the world. You know, historically, historically, OK, the 10-year U.S. government bond has yielded in line with nominal GDP, nominal GDP. This year, nominal GDP will be up probably in excess of 10 percent. And the 10-year government is uh one twenty-one thirty. The long-term uh, nominal GDP, probably around 4 percent. So the bond is very mispriced and that's really pushing everybody on the risk curve. Okay. The second observation I would make before this last three and a half trillion dollar package and the 300 billion, three trillion, three and a half trillion dollar package and the $300 billion childcare credit, we've already injected into the economy a trillion dollars of stimulus and excess of wages lost. And it's very clear what's going on. You know, the uh, central bank, And the fiscal authorities are focused exclusively on unemployment. They're not worried about the debt creation. And I worry. I'm 78. Maybe I shouldn't worry. I'll be dead before maybe this problem hits. But basically, uh, I I worry about it. I I worry about it uh, because debt's growing too rapidly. You know, this nation was founded in 1776. We had no national debt. Three years ago, it got up to $20 trillion. Today, it's maybe $28 trillion you know, and rising at the rate of $3 trillion a year. It's not sustainable. It has to have a long-term impact. You know, everybody, including your, your uh, committee, talks about the you know, $4 trillion in money market funds and the trillions of dollars in the hands of private equity guys. Where did they get that money from? They got the money from the government. The government's going to either have to get it back or we're in a new world. Well, when, we're in a new world, well, let really me ask understand. you this.
2: As, as, let's just take today, for example, as you watch bond yields plummet, the way they have. What are you thinking? What what's the reason in your mind why rates? I think I addressed it before.
5: I think I think it's a bunch of look, we've had negative interest rates in Japan forever. You have negative interest rates in Europe. Guess what? The multiple in their markets are lower than the multiple in the U.S. market. You know, it's not proven to be, you know, the height of stupidity is keep doing the same thing and hoping for a different outcome. You know, we're screwing people. Look, if you go back, the economy has been on some form of life support since 2008. The government had to do things, right? Uh, so what what happened is, you know, Bernanke figured out in 2008 the economy was going down the toilet. He had to rescue the economy. He figured the best way to rescue the economy is to get, you know, wealth up because the economist Pagou said 5% of changes in wealth work its way into consumption. The best way to get wealth up was get the stock market up. But 80% of the stocks were owned by 20% of the people. OK, and so if they got the money back from the wealthy people because there's been no return on savings adjusted for inflation and taxes. You know, I think that the most dangerous instrument today is buying a long term U.S. government bond. You get one point three percent, you get 40 percent of the government's taxes, you keep 60 percent of one three, which is 78 basis points. The inflation rate is running, I don't know, four five, six percent, three percent, call whatever you want. Basically, you're getting your capital confiscated. I could buy a lot of stocks that have a much better valuation profile uh, than the U.S. government bond, and I'm not worried about U.S. defaulting on it. That that be next. Year, you know, I think we are heading for a fiscal crisis. Uh, you know, one of these days, but you know, not now. Well, let me so, ask you, know, you this: I'm, I'm opportunistic. Uh, I find a lot of things I want to do. John and Jerry would love the trade I did yesterday. Uh, 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 what I did is I sold a March five thousand S P and P call married to a March 2850 put for $53. I make money as long as the S&P trades below 5050 by, um, you know, between now and March, March expiration, and stays above uh, 2800. I don't think we see 5,000 or anything near 2800. Uh, And and, and yesterday I sold some outright puts, uh, um, much below market, and today I'm selling some 4,600 calls. So, you know, uh, I, well, I think you're speaking. Let me do okay. this.
2: Let me do this. I mean, you're speaking John's language. So let me bring him into that. the conversation. <laughs> Doc. You want to assess? Uh, well, yeah. The, the, the man's trades.
5: Well, I, let me just repeat what I said. Well, I don't think the a, market trades at five thousand in the next six months. And I don't think it trades anywhere near twenty eight hundred. That's my judgment call. What do you think, yep. John?
1: Yep. I love it. And you're getting paid to do it. I mean, you know, Scott, what he's talking about is how many people come on air and say, well, you know, I'd be a buyer on dips and then we get a dip and they don't do anything. What he's doing is he's collecting that premium out there in March at that strike, you know, uh, a lot underneath where the market is, as he said, 2800 in the S&P. And. 5000 to the upside. So if it stays in that range anywhere from that 28 to 5000, he keeps the entire premium. It's just a really smart way to play uh, and to be positioned to take advantage of, you know, maybe the market. Trades up, maybe it trades down, but as long as it stays in that range, Leon makes money. I love and, and,
2: it. And the bottom line, Lee, is is by virtue of, of the moves that you've made and the trade that you're just telling John about, you don't appear to think that we're on the cusp of some big correction. Forget a bear market, but just a, a larger correction than maybe what we've experienced to this point. Am I, am I right?
5: Yeah, I would say definitely o- over the near term. I am concerned long term, but, you know... <laughs> Uh, I would say in the near term, the conditions that lead to a big decline aren't present. I mean, where are you going to go with your money? You know, if my choice is uh, cash earning zero, uh, a 10-year bond, which is ridiculous, at 1-3, or buying my favorite equity. You know, I'll give you another example. I gave you that uh, strangle I did. Uh, I have a very large position in something I think is totally mispriced, totally mispriced as a result of some political bullshit. You know, baloney, excuse me. <laughs> <blowing>. <laughs> You know, uh, and this is Legado, L-I-G-A-D-O, First Lean Paper. It's a 15.5% pick coupon. It matures in 2023. The company controls about 35 megahertz of spectrum, largely 5G. The country needs this stuff. It's growing in value every day. Last year, Apple introduced four iPhones that were 5G dependent. Okay. And uh, there's a senator, an 87-year-old senator, who I'm sure considers himself a great American, who I think is doing a great disservice to the country uh, by uh, basically carrying the baggage for Iridian, who threw up some, you know, baloney, uh, you know, said that the spectrum interfered with some Department of Defense needs. The FCC, for five years, just shows you how the sausage in Washington is made, for five years studied the accusations and concluded five to zero bipartisan FCC vote that the spectrum did not interfere with DOD needs. You could buy a 15.5% pick bond that matures in uh, November of 2023 uh, at about 98.5, okay? And uh, they have a unique feature. It's called make whole. If somebody takes over this company prior to the maturity of the bond, you get the full interest to the end of 2023. I love that position. Uh, uh, the attachment point for them to be worth par is 41 cents a pop. OK, uh, 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 not to get too technical language, uh, but that's per unit of population covered. But basically, the people I speak to that know the space say the spectrum is worth over a dollar a pop. Mm-hmm. A dollar a pop, the entire capital structure is worth par. So I'm going to give you the least risky part of it. Uh, I own the first liens. I own the one and a half liens. I own the second liens. I own some crammed down equity. But I think there's a lot of things I find I could do. I look at my trade a lot of yesterday. I added to theme. Look, Athene is uh, trading at seven times earnings with very smart management. Yep. I got that Cigna uh, under 10 times earnings. I got the Paramount, I mentioned, less than four times cash flow. They just authorized a two cent a month dividend. Well, let's do this. Let me do this. Let
2: me squeeze. Let let me forgive me for interrupting you. Let me squeeze a break in. We'll come back. We'll have much more with Lee Cooperman. Talk about some of your big tech positions as well. Rick Reeder is going to join us in the conversation as well. Or trader moves are just ahead. We'll be right back.
3: Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. During a Senate hearing, Senator Rand Paul accusing Dr. Anthony Fauci of lying about the origin of the coronavirus. Fauci says Rand is the one who's lying and making false assumptions about virus research.
4: Let me finish. You take an animal virus and you increase its transmissibility to humans. Right. You're saying that's not gain of function? Yeah,
0: that is correct. And, and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially. You do not know what you are talking about.
3: And tonight on the news, medical expert Dr. Van Gupta on the need for masks and the greater need for more vaccinations. Convicted sex offender and former movie mogul Harvey Weinstein is being extradited to California. He's being moved from a prison in New York to face trial on rape and assault charges involving five women. And we now have video from inside the new Shepard capsule and the four astronauts, including, of course, Amazon's Jeff Bezos, enjoying their time in zero gravity above Texas. Pretty cool. Scott, I'll send it back to you.
2: right, certainly is. Rahel, appreciate that very much. Rahel Solomon. All right. We're back with our exclusive interview with Lee Cooperman and our investment committee. Uh, Steph, how about IBM? Before we get back to Lee, uh, it's your biggest tech position. What do you think?
3: Yeah, it was a a very good quarter, a very strong execution driven by cloud growth, Red Hat grew 17% year over year, global business services back to uh, pre-pandemic levels at 7.2%, their growth uh, year over year. They actually only guided for 2 to 4% in that segment, so they're really doing a nice job there. Margins hung in there up 30 basis points year over year in spite of the fact that they're heavily investing, right? So I liked the free cash flow guide of 11 to 13000000000 billion. Mid-single-digit revenue g- growth seems sustainable. So I have a stock that's trading 11 times earnings with a 4.6% yield. You know, that's really lagged. It's only up 19% in the last year. So I think there's more to go.
2: Lee, when was the last time you owned IBM? I'm, I'm sure you did at some point.
5: I think I was short some uh, puts on it uh, recently, actually. I'm not involved currently. I think they have issues and top line growth. But uh, listen, somebody sent me an email yesterday and I know you get upset when I read things to you. But, uh, you know, it's the essence of things. This is a guy that had Paul Samuelson in graduate school at MIT. Paul Samuelson, who's deceased, was a Nobel Prize winner. And he said in class, one of the lectures he gave said, if the real interest rates were expected to be negative indefinitely, almost any investment is profitable. For example, at a negative or even zero interest rate, we'd pay to level the Rocky Mountains to have uh, to save even the small amount of fuel expended by trains and cars that currently must climb steep grades rather than going through the mountain, going around the mountain. And so, you know, there's nothing overvalued in today's interest rate environment except the bonds. Well, you know? what, what I went the- back and I looked. I went back and I looked. Hey, let me, if I may. In 1972, we went through this nifty fifty excess. In 1972, Avon was not thought to be at 65 times earnings. Eastman Kodak bankrupt, 48 times earnings. Kmart bankrupt, 34 times earnings. Polaroid bankrupt, 90 times earnings. Sears Roebuck, bankrupt, 31 times earnings. They were part of the so-called nifty-fifty. The 10-year U.S. government in 1972 was 6.5%. When you look at Google, you look at Facebook, you look at Microsoft, you look at Amazon, if you believe the economy is going to grow and interest rates are going to stay where they are, they're not overvalued. And as I made a point under your program uh, probably over a year ago, there's three markets out there. There's the FANG market, there's the Robinhood market, and there's the everything else market. I traffic a little bit in the Fang market because I think they're great companies that are really uh, uh, had demand pulled forward by at least five years because of the virus. So my biggest family office position is Google. The people that run that are hell of a lot smarter than me. They they can keep me covered in technology. I own a very big position in Microsoft. I can say the same thing about them. I own a decent position in Amazon, and I own a little bit of Facebook. I missed that one. Uh, um, And uh, uh, that's a meaningful percentage of. uh, Let let me ask you this. Of of
2: all of the sectors in which you have a fairly large amount of exposure to, are you most optimistic about tech, specifically big tech, given what you just said about interest rates and the current environment for that complex now and and maybe in in the near term?
5: In all honesty, I have a defect. You know, I learned the business bottom up. I'm a stock jockey. I'm a stock jockey. I like what I own. I'm having no trouble finding things that I want to own. I have an eye on the exit because I think that monetary policy and fiscal policy have pulled the man forward, and this game and this party, when it ends, is not going to end well. Okay? And the reason you see the kind of action you saw yesterday is, A, the market structure has been destroyed. You know, this has been a theme of mine for several years. I wrote a letter to the SEC They put that in a circular file. I never heard back from them. I explained to them, you know, commissions are zero. When I came to Wall Street, commissions were 25 to 50 cents a share. The Volcker rule didn't exist. So brokerage firms had the ability and the willingness to stabilize. 80 percent, 50 years ago, 80 percent of the volume was done in New York Stock Exchange. Today, 80 percent of the volume is done off board in dark pools. So the specialists are ineffective and they don't stabilize. And finally, we limited the uptick rule which uh, was enacted in 1900, I think, in 38. It, it lasted until 2007. I don't understand why they don't put it back in to help stabilize markets. But it leads to volatility on the upside and downside. These algorithms know nothing about value. They know everything about price. So they push it up more than they should push it up. They push it down more than they should push it down. Well, let me ask you now, this. I bring some sanity
2: you, to the you, you said you have one foot out the door. What what gets you to fully? Said, I'm, I'm, I'm looking. What, I'm what looking, gets you to fully leave? I mean, is it the taper? When the taper comes, Fed, you're Fed, out or what?
5: No, 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 no. It'd be Fed speak. It'd be inflation. It would be the overall performance of the economy. It would be gold and Bitcoin, which I think represents speculative fever. It would be the stock market itself. I think the stock market is a high quality leading indicator, and, you know, and uh, you know, in bull markets, four to seven percent pullbacks are the rule of the day. You know, so what you saw yesterday just happens a little bit more quickly, but, you know, I'm, I'm watching. I watch everything. I watch everything like a hawk. Most importantly, I watch what I own, and I just find things that are awfully cheap, and so I'm comfortable with what I own. Were you but the ever... truth of that is, I'll tell, tell you a story. i tell you a story. When I was a student at Columbia Business School, there was a terrific uh, professor with the name of Roger Murray, and he meets one of, one of his students was extremely bearish, and the professor had a totally different view. And six months later, the student turned out to be right. The market declined greatly, and the professor congratulated him on his prescient call. And the student said, I can't accept your congratulations, because I had a portfolio of special situations. I'm very stock-oriented, and I understand the importance of the aggregate market's performance. I think six or eight months from now, we'll start to see liquidity coming out of the market, and I'll have a different view of the market." And I wonder, and again, I want to ask Rick Reader the question. You ask him for me, basically. You know, the historical real, you know, the, the yield on the 10-year government has been in line with nominal GDP. We're nowhere near that today, okay? And uh, there's nothing uneconomic. You know, companies can buy back stock. They can make investments. They can do anything uh, at these levels of interest rates. Well, let me let so let ask you can- this.
2: Let me ask you this. Are, are you, and have you been at all tempted on any of the so-called Kathy Wood uh, type stocks, or the Ark stocks, or you know the kind of names I'm talking about, it, it could be I'm a- terrible on the short
5: side. So I, I have very little in short. My main short, frankly, is the S&P index, which uh, it can bite me in the tail if I'm wrong on the market. Um, but I would say that uh, I stay away from the Robinhood stocks. Uh, I don't get the valuations. They're crazy. But I, I observed the market's been very self-correcting. If you look at the big declines in some of these Robinhood stocks and uh, some of these 100, revenue, 100 times revenue stocks with no earnings, that's where the correction has been greatest. And that's where it deserves to be. And I, when I look at it, I still look overpriced. There's no way I'm going to buy a square at 160 times earnings if I could buy a five-server at under 20 times earnings. with Great management. And within FISERV, there is a square. Nobody seems to care. And that's what I'm trying to do, you know. Uh, um, but I, I, I do have concerns about the long term. We're just printing too much debt in this country. And everybody says the government can't afford to let interest rates to rise. I know the numbers. you got $30 trillion of debt. 100 basis point increase in rates is $300 billion of increased debt costs. They can't compromise on a billion or $2 billion project. Well, so this is going to be a problem.
2: Let's bring in Let's bring in Rick Reader uh, from uh, from BlackRock, of course, managing 2.6 trillion dollars. So, Rick, uh, welcome back. I hope you heard the conversation. I mean, you you were on not that long ago. You suggested that the rate move at that point was, in your words, overdone. Um, well, it's been on the grill a long time because now it's over crisp, <laughs> over real crispy today, getting down to 112. Uh, you know what? What now?
7: So uh, Scott, it's a bit, it's a bit surreal, and uh, we're in this environment. It's not, and I think, I think we said on the show last time <clears throat> that this month you can't fight it. You got to be patient because <clears throat> there, are, there is a tremendous amount of what is uneconomic buying taking place. <clears throat> the, de- the demand that comes in uh, that we've seen come in, if you actually track what happens early in the morning every single day, the last three weeks. Is, is, is you get the long bond up a point or so, and every day there's Asian buying coming, it's coming from Japan, and then more recently it's coming from non Japan Asia for a variety of reasons. And then you have the dynamics around the straight liquidity we've talked about in your show that is just extraordinary. I mean, this changes, some of it's a, this massive. TGA pay down the Treasury's general account pay down that's over a trillion dollars that has come in and gone directly in a checking account. So that's part of why we said you've got to be a bit patient and we've actually as much as I think it's overdone we have bought some Treasuries. I hate it because these valuations are absurd. These negative as Lee was saying these negative real rates are not are, are just wrong. I mean given the level of growth it makes no sense. There's too much liquidity in the system. The Fed has got too much liquidity coming in. And quite frankly, part of why you're seeing this volatility in the markets, where everybody is attributing it to the Delta, the increase in the Delta variant. What happens is when you crowd out, when you create real rates that are so excessive, you crowd people out of those asset classes and everybody moves to one side of the boat. Where's there's value? Where's where are things not overpriced? And the equity market has clearly been that. And so you see the flows that have come into equities. Which I think are justified. I agree with Lee. I mean, I think Mark, the stock market. I know have said a bunch of times, is going is going higher. But you get days like yesterday. I think vol. I think volatility is going to be higher because when you when you continue this what the Fed would describe as a portfolio rebalance channel, and you force you get this crowding out effect, everybody moves to one side of the boat, and you create these disruptions in the market, which is much of much of what, you know, all you need is a little bit of lighting the fuse, whether it was Delta variant, whether it's some of the earnings numbers. Uh, because of supply chain, I would argue, to a large extent, we could talk about some of those. You know, a little bit of, of, of maybe not achieving the demand function that companies would like to because you don't have enough people, you don't have enough inventory, you don't have enough supply chain, semis, etc. that's creating uh, some of these moves. But pretty, pretty surreal, I have to say.
2: 112, was, do you think that's the low? Did, did we put it in? I mean, even though you bought treasuries like a hold-your-nose-and-buy-it <laughs> trade, it sounds like, ty- on, oh. on steroids. <laughs>
7: I can't tell you how hard I'm holding my nose on buying Treasuries at these levels. Uh, Look, because, um, so I'll, I'll tell you I mean, a little I... anecdotal
5: story <laughs> to both of you. a Little <laughs> anecdotal story: guy that I had great respect for, who unfortunately died, uh, uh, Barton Biggs. Uh, he calls me up. This is now about 30 years ago. He says, "You know, Lee, when you were partner at Goldman Sachs, we competed with each other for 25 years. Now that you're a client, let's have dinner." So we have dinner in uh, at the beginning of 1992. And very pleasant, and he's a very, was an excellent thinker and a very, very decent human being. And he leans over at the end of the dinner. And he says, "I'm going to give you the best idea I've ever had." And I listened very intently because I respected him. And his idea was short JGBs. Well, that has been a widowmaker for 25 years. And so I'm not short sure U.S. government bonds, but look, totally mispriced to me. And one day they will be a good short. But you know, uh, uh, I'm just staying away from it. It's like going to looking at a rattlesnake. You see him curled up in the corner, and you give it a kick to see if it's alive. I mm-hmm. think the smartest thing is just to stay away from it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to own so any parts.
2: Let, let me bring in the um, the investment committee <laughs> a, as well. Who, who'd like to ask a question? I can see all of you um, First hand Up goes. Really? All right, Doc. Oh.
1: Okay. All right. Um, Rick, uh, we noted last week on the show a ton of buying of those TLT calls, which, of course, is uh, price up, yield down. And they've been right. And they bought more yesterday. uh, In other words, well, he's got a lot of uh, company that might not want to be in that bet on bonds, but basically think that we are likely to see. One percent or sub one percent in the ten year. Uh, in other words, a lot of smart people are doing exactly what Rick Reeder did.
7: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like I said, I, would, I wish I was I was larger than uh, than doing it, but mean, I hate these levels. I mean, it's it's so absurd. But you know, I think you have to. You know, some of that buying is, I'm sure, some portfolio protection. I e, gosh, if things go wrong and you've got an increase in COVID cases, you know, I'm, I'm as we talked about on the on the uh, on one side of the boat around risk, whether that's equities, whether that's credit markets, et cetera. So I'm sure there was some portfolio protection going on there. But you also have a dynamic. You think about the world we live in while the U.S. economy is growing. You have a, you have a dynamic where China's actually – easing depending on how you do it you know through the rr cuts and otherwise where japan is going to keep rates down for a long time we heard from the ecb no movement so in a global marketplace you've got buyers i would argue to some extent are economic to some extent are looking at their markets and saying gosh my rate of inflation domestically is 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 low and although it's high in the u.s i'm looking at it against my inflation rate which is de minimis and I'm going to get some additional yield relative to where my central bank is setting rates today. So there's a bunch of, and I just have to respect it. I mean, the levels are absurd. I mean, there's no mm. fundamental. That, yeah. I don't think anybody who's buying Treasuries, including whoever bought it with me, whoever bought those TLT calls, right? I don't think anybody thinks, gosh, this is great valuation. It's just either uneconomic or or, um, <laughs> or you're trying to protect some portfolio.
2: Hey, Steph, I have a question for you. You know, I, I know how optimistic you are about the economy, and how positive you are around the sort of the cyclical side of the market why did you sell Freeport
3: because it's up 266% since I started buying it and I just wanted to take some profits in the name I, did, I kept it in chemicals, I kept it in Dow, Dow is now my largest chemicals company. That stock has lagged. It's actually down, as, it's about 16% from its highs. It's got a 4.8% dividend yield. It's a hidden energy play and I still do like energy. It's got diversified end markets. I think they can earn $13 billion in peak earnings over time and it's got a really great management team. I also added to air products. You know I constantly nibble at air products whenever it's down, it's down 8% from its highs. It yields 2%. It's a duopoly, and I like that, in in, in industrial gases. But could I ask Rick a question about transitory inflation. And the question I have, Rick, is while we know wages are a little more sticky than commodities, so commodities, commodities we know are kind of transitory. Whatever transitory timeline is, I have no idea, quite frankly. But I'm starting to worry a little bit about shelter costs, shelter prices, now that moratoriums have been lifted. Do you worry about that? And then where do you actually see inflation in the next 12 <laughs> months?
7: Ah, oh, it's a great question. So uh, let me start with uh, what you said. I mean, commodity prices. I do think there's a lot of that. That is, I mean, you look at the the dynamic that's impacted used car prices and and I would say broadly commodities. There's no doubt you'll get some equilibrium there that will come in, and and a lot of that when we model up analytically model up inflation, we show it coming down, but probably not till you know significantly below or at the Fed's target for another year or so. But then you go into the other places, like you, like you mentioned, You know, the service sector is starting to see some significant increase in inflation to in and around or running about 3%. And that is driven by wages. And that is real. I and mean, I do think there is a job, sure, there is a problem. There's not enough people to fulfill the jobs today. And, then, uh, and so I think that will be durable. So you'll create a bit more inflation uh, while, while much of it is going to come down. And then the, the point you made is shelter is a big deal This is part of why i think the fed should start tapering yesterday is the uh, i mean you what you're doing is you're creating this excess and affordability is coming down significantly in shelter both both rent and home prices particularly what impacts lower and middle income is gotten extreme I mean, by the by the way some of the areas the home builders where people are pricing it in today off of forward earnings I actually think it's gotten pretty cheap in some of these uh... some of these home builders today where I think it's gotten overdone, people are concerned about you're not going to have enough inventory in the, uh, relative to these levels today because of where affordability is. So I think it's gotten into market mm-hmm. maybe a bit overdone on places like home builders. But I think your points are well taken. I think shelter is going to be durable. I think wages are going to be durable. And, uh, but you're going to see a lot that's going to come down. So I think we're going to run above 2% for a period of time. And then before you start heading down, but it's, good. it's hard to see when shelter is coming down. It okay. takes years to, to rebuild uh, if that. If I can drive. make an
5: observation, uh, 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 Scott, with your permission, and uh, Rick is in a better position to comment on it. One of the accounting conventions pushes corporations' pension plans to buy some of these bonds. Because as I understand right. it, uh, if you have a drawdown right. bond, you don't have to market to market. If you have a drawdown in equities, you have, you have to market to market. So there's a, uh, a an accounting fiction that makes you do foolish things. I think, isn't that correct, Rick?
7: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the bigger dynamic around it is one of the factors. I listened too many, but one of the factors that's keeping the long end of the curve well supported is pension funds are now fully funded, or were fully funded. So you have this pro cyclical dynamic where uh, you know as long as the equity market stays high, you've got to continue to have this bid for bonds and mo and a significant amount of additional fixed income is going to be bought because of that pension funding, the, the closing the funding gap. It's a big deal, and it's part mm-hmm. of why the back end stays, the long end of the yield curve stays, stays pretty well contained. It's just one of those other exogenous factors, not necessarily economic, but if you can defease your liability stream, and if you're a company, you could, you could count on your top-line revenue to run your business as opposed to your earnings as opposed to your
2: pension more that will take place. Rick, I appreciate you joining us uh, today. Lee, I'm going to yeah. leave it there as well. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back and do unusual activity, get some final trades and all that. Appreciate you once again joining us, Lee Cooperman. It's always good to talk to you, Rick Reeder. I know you'll be back soon as well. We'll be right back after this.
3: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? Or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
2: Okay, Doc, unusual. What do you have for us?
1: All right. Appreciate you squeezing it in here, Scott. Boeing, that's the first one. I know it's bringing a smile to Jim's face. Uh, Boeing, they're buying upside calls that expire this Friday, Scott. 12,000 of those, 215 calls. The stock was just shy of 211. I know it's been moving up during the show. Take a look at the second one, CCL, Carnival Cruise Lines. Uh, This one they're buying next week, the 30th of July expiration at the 21 strike. With the stock just below 21, they bought 12,000 of those calls, Scott. I'm in both, probably be in the Boeing calls three days, the other about six days.
2: All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll do final trades. All right, Josh Brown, final trade for me, please.
0: Um, Congratulations to Invitation Homes, just like me, now over 40 and looking extremely handsome at the moment. Love this stock. I think it goes higher.
2: All right. Nice day for that. Uh,
0: Stephanie Link.
3: American Express, I think there's upside to credit cards on Friday's earnings report. On banks, on average, reported 40 to 50 percent growth last quarter. I expect it to translate well for AXP.
2: Okay, Farmer Jim. Citigroup, you really
4: think
1: the 10 year is going lower from here? I don't.
2: All right. And John Najarian.
1: Uh Somebody bought 100,000 of the Apple 145 calls. Scott, mm. I joined them, added to my Apple position today.
2: OK, looking at Apple right now, up nearly 3 percent on our way to a big day. Nice gain back up 650 on the Dow. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern only on CNBC.